Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of the vodcast. My name is Jeff Manchester. This is my YouTube channel. Um, the vodcast is a kind of sort of podcast, a space where I get to answer questions in depth about mixing, mastering, composing, arranging. Uh, I talk about my mother, I talk about my weight. We have, um, for today's vodcast, I've got some Stoli, 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 it's the official pronunciation, and it's gold. So, you know. And I've got my little glass here, doing a little bit of a little, little lime, some vodka. So it's uh, it's extremely exciting. If you want to submit a question to the vodcast, if you want to mix reviewed, if you want to ask me a question about composing or any of those things that I mentioned before, tweet me. I'm at at Jeff Manch and use the hashtag um, vodcast. Or you can write to me, which a lot of people did, at uh, vodcastpodcaster at gmail.com. And both those things will be right there in the uh, description. Okay, so let's get to the first question, which comes to us from Tom. And Tom says, hey, Jeff, loving the vodcast uh, podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. And he says, my question is about audio engineering school. He says, I noticed in a video that you went to audio engineering school. I'll link to that right now. I'm concerned that spending a lot of money on audio engineering school might be better spent somewhere else, namely buying gear. So I guess what he's saying is he could spend the amount that it would cost in tuition on a bunch of gear. So like 16 grand worth of tuition, spend it on gear. Um, I could learn to use the gear myself, go on YouTube, do tutorials, blah, 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 like on your channel and on other people's channels, or I could go the professional route and do a college or private audio engineering program, question mark. What do you think I should do? So, Tom, thank you very much for writing this question. This is a question that's near and dear to my heart because I did sort of switch my life around to uh, pursue audio and audio engineering. And I know it's a very daunting, scary thing to take the plunge like that, um, especially when, let's say you had a sort of first or second career and then you just go 180 degrees. Um, you know, you, you kind of get to string along people like, you know, your parents and your girlfriend or whatever, and they're all kind of shaking their heads or they're very supportive, but deep down they're just like, oh my God, please at least you know like learn a trade or like maybe he'll grow out of it or something um it's a really scary emotionally and psychologically terrifying thing so first of all it's really cool that you're considering it and it's it's i, I always i have a lot of respect for people who want to pursue these things in a serious professional way i think it's awesome this is a tough question i mean it depends on your level of commitment it depends on all kinds of factors um but here's an example i'll use okay so let's say that um there's a guy named Matt. And Matt wants to be a translator. He wants to be an English to French translator, and that's what he wants to do. So he wants to learn the French language and then eventually get a job translating. Maybe he'll translate and, you know, transcribe movies for Netflix. So you get the little subtitles or he'll do uh, novel transcribing, whatever. Okay. So there's one of two routes he can take. Route number one is for a year, he buys, you know, Rosetta Stone and he goes on lynda.com and I don't know if lynda.com does language and stuff like that. And for a year, he commits and is self-disciplined and does nothing but eat, sleep, breathe, dream, you know, French online tutorials, uh, you know, like I said, Rosetta Stone, blah, blah, blah. He self-learns. He's He does independent, self-directed studies to French, okay? So he's going to save a lot of money in the long run, right? He's going to have all these materials, but that's if he commits. That's if he can sustain that level of interest and focus specifically on just, you know, getting up in the morning and treating it like a job. Have my breakfast. I go to Starbucks. I open up my Rosetta Stone. I do my readings, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that's one route that he can take. The other route that he can take is he can, if he's in Canada, maybe parachute himself into some small Quebec community where there's no English and, um, that's going to cost money, right? It's going to cost money to get a train there and back. It's going to cost money to find a family to live with. It's going to cost money to, to attend a school where he's going to learn the basics of translation and where he's going to, you know, he's going to, it's going to cost a lot of money to sort of to be in a completely French environment. But let's remember his goals, right? He wants to learn French and he wants to get a job eventually because it's not enough to just learn French. You can learn French. That's fine. But you want to get a job, get employed in the field, and then, you know, just sort of take it from there and make it a career. So this sounds kind of silly, but this is audio engineering. I mean, you can say, 
for a year. I'm going to do nothing but eat, sleep, and breathe YouTube tutorials. I'm going to go to Jeff Manchester's page. I'm going to go to Daniel James's page. I'm going to watch Pensado's place. I'm going to sign up for lynda.com. I'm going to buy a whole bunch of books on mastering. I'm going to tour in a bunch of programs. I'm going to go to the library and take out, you know, Bob Katz's mastering techniques and all the rest of it. If you think you can do that, if you think you can really stay focused and driven and just sort of tunnel vision on that one goal, then go ahead and do it. But let's say that you want to take a gamble and you want to, you know, like I said, you want to parachute yourself into a small French community in Quebec, or if you're in Europe, you know, you want to go to France for a year. It's going to be expensive, but you're going to meet people that are going to be important in your development as an audio engineer. You're going to meet people who might have opportunities for you down the road. For example, when I attended audio engineering school, um, I met a professor there who uh, he made a bit of a swift exit kind of halfway through my, my term there. But I had his email. I got in touch with him and he remembered me from the program. And he was like, yeah, I need an assistant audio engineer right now. And uh, we're going to be miking up some strings in a kitchen, you know, some, a bit little sort of four piece uh, uh, string thing. And the woman who was kind of organizing the whole thing, uh, my, comp my composer, uh, my teacher was a guy, but the woman who organized the thing, she was a composer. And she was doing this for a National Film Board documentary. So because I spent a big chunk of money and committed myself to going to school where I would maybe learn things that weren't so interesting to me and I would you know, spend a bit of time learning stuff that was super interesting to me and just sort of suck everything up... Um, because I did that, I had the opportunity to meet, his name was Brian, and then I met the woman whose name was Leslie, and learn about the industry and get like hands-on experience miking, uh, you know, a four-piece little, you know, string quartet. It was amazing. And I went back to school the next day, and I, I kind of kept quiet because I didn't want to sound like I was bragging or whatever, but eventually I told people, and they're like, that's awesome, you know what I mean? I've got to get his email and all this stuff. I know people in the industry because I went to school, and... Um, because I also, I was very disciplined and I did treat it like a job and, um, you know, so I mean, but all this to say, if you think you can sustain the commitment needed to self-direct your studies and be on YouTube every day and just treat it like a job or whatever, go and do that. But if you think, um, that that's not for you and you want to spend money and invest in yourself, so to speak, then go to audio engineering school. There's pros and cons. I mean, anyone, I mean, I, I went to this, um, there was this there, this amazing restaurant in uh, Kingston, Ontario, not too far from where I live, and it was called Luke's Kitchen. Okay, and this guy had won. I don't think we Canadians get Michelin stars. I don't know, but he got like the equivalent of that. He had like prestige and all this other stuff. He was, I think, sixteen or seventeen, and he opened the restaurant with the help of his mother. And my buddy went to do a documentary about him, and uh, this is like a huge, amazing like gastronomy restaurant or whatever. He had never attended a single cooking class in his life. He had never been to school. He didn't apprentice anywhere. He didn't do any of that stuff. You know what he did? He says, I don't know why people go to cooking schools because there are such great books out there that teach you how to cook. Literally. And then on the strength of his knowledge and through the help of his mother, obviously she made a, a big investment to open a restaurant there. He opened a restaurant in Kingston. It totally took off. And now he's in Toronto working at a new kitchen. I haven't been to it yet because I like can't afford fancy food or whatever. But there's an example of someone who had the discipline and commitment to just sort of stay the course and learn everything on his own. I think he was just going to the library every day. So there you go. I'm not trying to stack the deck and make it sound like, which do you think is better? Like, obviously, audio engineering school is better because that's what I... That's stupid. Everyone has their own path and their own trajectory. Choose which one... Like, really examine yourself and your tendencies and your habits and choose the one that you think, the path that you think is best suited to who you are as a person because... You know, I'm 30 now. I'm not like an old man or anything, but like time, it, things speed up as you get older. If you're like 17, 18, you know, like summer feels like forever and you have a lot of time and you can change your mind and stuff like that. And But when you get older, things really pick up. And so you really kind of get a fire under your butt to start making, you know, choices. And uh, anyway, so choose one path there's other path. probably little alternatives in between you could do like self-directed slash online courses blah 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 but i think that for the purposes of getting a job and getting connected that's what school was for me school was a seventeen thousand dollar networking opportunity and has it paid off i've only been out of school for like five months i don't know but i think that the things that i say and do and the techniques that i show you on this channel are informed by a real sort of knowledge practical knowledge things that i learned 
having my hands on a Neve console, um, being in a tuned room, chatting with audio professionals who are working and have worked in the industry for, you know, for ages. I think that stuff, that stuff is, is very valuable. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying it's more valuable than learning stuff on your own or whatever, but I think it counts towards something. But it depends on you. It depends on what you're able to handle. And um, be honest about that, you know. So I hope that helps you. Um, I don't know if it does. I need, I need a sip of vodka here. I refresh myself. Okay. Question two comes from Mookie Thompson. And he says, he, he's, I have a vodcast question. He sent it to the vodcast podcaster at gmail.com. Thank you, Mookie. Um, he says, if you have... Um, what you would consider a professional mix released in the wild that made you money, would you be willing to share and talk about the Ableton project file, the settings, i.e. the track, DB peaks, master peaks, master effects, blah, 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 and your export settings, which is interesting. But, um, okay, to answer this question, I thought that I would have such a project in the wild right now. Um, I've been working on a mixtape with a guy named Travis Bow, really talented guy. I'll link to him, I don't know, on the screen or something. Um, the project is kind of on ice due to reasons that aren't really interesting for this podcast, but it's going to happen. So this is a mixtape. I mean, the guy was on the, I don't know if you guys are like hip hop fans out there, but the guy was, he rapped for like sway in the morning breakfast club in New York city. So, um, he's very well connected. He's got a lot of support and love behind him and I'm mixing and mastering the whole tape. So we've just been trying to work through getting this tape out. Um, and it's been a, it's been a bit stressful because there's, like I said, there's other things happening, but Mookie, um, thank you for submitting the question. And I actually plan on doing a whole mix tutorial for one of the tracks that I mixed and that will probably end up being the single. So that will be like a sort of video answer to this great question. And uh, anyway, I could have like just skipped the question, but I want to say Mookie, I saw it and I will definitely probably notify you by email once that video comes out. So this way you can learn um, now, whether or not you think it fits your criteria of like in the wild and maybe a bunch of money, I don't know. But I did and am continuing to get paid to work on this project. So hopefully this will satisfy um, the sort of curiosity you have here. So anyway, Mookie, thanks for the question. Uh, let's move on to question three. Okay, question three comes to us from Daniel Egan. Thank you, Daniel, for writing me. He wrote on the vodcast podcaster at gmail.com. I have to keep mentioning that for some reason. I've just told myself I have to keep mentioning it. Hey, he says. Hey. What he wrote was, great video. Would you be willing to talk next time about how you started getting film score jobs, especially paid work? Question mark. I know I'm not the only person who has the technical ability, but not the business prowess you need to get the jobs and make at least minimum wage out of them. Thanks very much. I greatly look forward to your next video. Dan Egan. Well, Dan, uh, this is a funny question. This is a question that I get asked all the time. And I hesitate to really do a video on it or anything, not because like I don't want to like reveal my secrets, but um, there. here's the thing. This industry is in a weird state. I mean, I've only, I've been composing for about two, three, well, I don't know. I Technically, I've been making music all my life, but I've been composing for like two and a half, three years, and then finally changing everything in my life so that I can only focus on composing for like two years. So in those two years, I've taken steps to make sure that I am marketable and I am attractive to people who want to work with me and all the rest of it. Because like you said, I think you you worded it really, really sort of, uh, well, you said that I know I'm not the only one with the technical abilities to compose. And you're right. There are thousands of pasty, white, pudgy people. How's that for alliteration? Sitting with a microphone and a pretty good MIDI setup and speakers and all the rest of it. And a lot of people kind of, they're like, they kind of crap on that. They're like, well, you're all in the box, you know, of analog gear. Well, it's like, you know what, if you know what you're doing, and honestly, like, imagine all the plugins you had, if you rip them all out and turn them into, like, physical manifestations of those plugins, you would have a million-dollar studio in your in your room, okay? That's the truth. So you have a laptop, you have a studio, blah, blah, blah. So don't let anyone kind of poop on you for that. Now, what I'm getting at is there really isn't anything that separates you from the other guy playing music or whatever other than the fact that you're you. You know what I'm saying? Your taste in music, your 
personality, your working habits, your professionalism, the amount of tact you have, the amount of self-awareness you have into how you behave and how you communicate with people, that's what separates you from somebody else. Um, it's not the gear, it's not the plugins, it's not the speakers, it's not that they have a really hot girlfriend, it's you. And that's why I do things like, for example, I have a, a commercial that I did for myself because I realize that no one out there, no composers really have commercials for their services. It's all some some guy going like, check out my SoundCloud. It's like, all right, cool. We can hear that you're composing and you're doing a good job. But when you're asking for work, you're not really selling your services as much as you're selling yourself. You're establishing a reputation and it's like a date and you have to decide, you know, yeah, like this guy makes a lot of money. So did the last guy. But like, does he make me laugh? Is he smart? Does he listen to me? Like, those are the things that separate people. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he might have a nice car, sort of the last guy. He might have a nice job, sort of a little bit. It's the other things in between that separate you from from other people. So I try to find the things that separate me from other people and make sure that I really stand out in my field. So the commercial was the one thing. No one has a commercial. I have some friends um, who uh, who shoot movies and they've got a nice rig and they owe me a lot of favors. No, they didn't owe me any favors, but they owe me they owe me a favor. So I was like, yes, let's do a video. So. I went and I found a studio and I shot there. Uh, and by the way, if you're ever going to do this kind of stuff, if you're going to like shoot on the fly or whatever, or like let's say you want to record fully, you know, in like someone's house or whatever, like just do it. I, I know it sounds, I know it's kind of bad to say that, but there's a maxim that I really like. And that's that it's better to beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission. You know what I'm saying? So let's say you're like traveling with your buddies in like California or something and you want to go into this awesome, you know, you get this review online said that like this really cool dirt path that leads to a waterfall and i don't know california but um, you know if you like go to like border patrol and say hi we'd like to like they're gonna say no just do it and then if you get caught you're like oh we didn't know you know sorry Get that way you get the experience so if you're gonna sh if you're gonna like collect impulse responses for like you know convolution reverb and like your subway system just go and do it and if you get caught then you'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I was just checking it out. But, and then you have those impulse response. You know what I mean? You, It's better to beg for forgiveness because if you just ask someone to do something, they're going to say no. So anyway, what am I talking about? I'm talking about how to get jobs as a composer. So anyway, we shot the video and now I have a commercial. Now no one else has a commercial. So now I have that. So the next time someone posts a thing and says, hey, you know, we, I need a composer. Ten guys are going to go, I'm an award-winning composer. My fee is 10K. Like, have a nice day. Here's my SoundCloud page. Whereas I'm going to be like, I'm a composer. Check out my channel. You get to know me instantly. You see the video. You hear me talk. You get to sense the level. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. But, like, you sense the level of passion and interest and all the rest of it. And that instantly separates you from everybody else. And I've done exit interviews with my clients where I'm like, what is it about me that stuck out? And almost everyone says um, the video. Almost everyone. Other people are like, well, we didn't really see the video, but we went to your SoundCloud. We like the music, whatever. But that separates you. What else separates you? How quickly you respond to emails. You wouldn't believe how many flaky people are in this industry. And they're making way more money and they're way more connected than you are. But they don't turn in work quickly. They don't respond to emails. And when they do get the emails, they don't really read them. And they'll like, yeah, they'll write back. And the other person's like, did they read what I just, like, I didn't ask them to do that. I asked them to do this. But so the professionalism, the attitude, like I said, the tact, those things go toward whether or not you will get a job. Because they might go, well, yeah, we have this award-winning composer, but he's a total doink. And we have this other guy who's not an award-winning composer, but he gets back to us right away. He seems really interested in the project. I asked him, what do you think about the project? And he wrote back this really lovely two-paragraph long thing that showed that he read the post and the synopsis and the plot, and he's interested, or she's interested. You know what I'm saying? Like Those things really, uh, you want to flatter the client because the client they don't know anything about composing, probably, and they might not have ever worked with a composer before, but you have to connect on another level. And you do that by saying, I read the, you know, I read the, the sides or I read the script or I read, not the script, but I read the posting and like, you know, I was actually, you know, I was actually just working on a project like this or I've always wanted to work. I have only done documentaries and this is a short, so I've always wanted to work on, you know, just find ways to sort of 
burrow into their heart. You know what I'm saying? It sounds kind of lame, but passion, interest, punctuality, you're right. Everybody can compose. Everyone can get, you know, stupid KRK Rocket 5s and a MIDI keyboard and Torrent Ableton and be like, I'm a composer now. It's like, no. You are selling yourself more than you're selling your services. You're selling your, I hate to use this word, but brand. That's what you're selling. You're selling a relationship and an experience, a creative relationship with that other person. And that is usually what makes or breaks getting a job. Now, I am not doing this to the point, I'm not working to the point where I can stop doing all my other jobs. And that's the thing that you have to know too, is that usually whenever you see even really successful people on YouTube and they're just like, they put up their cover video and they're there like really hammering it out in front of a microphone to like at some terrible top 40 song, chances are they're also bussing tables and they're also working a night job, you know, and they're also going to school to get like, I don't know, like some business degree, like they're doing other things. I don't think there's anyone in this industry really with the exception of like Bob Ludwig and maybe Dave Pensato, even Pensato. I mean, he's got his Pensato's place, which blows up his brand. He's doing awards and all this stuff. People in the audio industry, it's a really tricky industry. It's not like it used to be. Um, the good news is there's still people who always want to record their stuff and get it mixed and mastered, but a lot of people can do those things on their own if they know how. So, and also, there's a lot of services, a lot of library music out there. You can just go and download some free stuff. And, you know, I mean, even like a few years back, Moby just released a bunch of free songs. Like, yeah, do whatever you want, royalty free. And a lot of it sounds incredible. I mean, Google just released, I think maybe a couple of weeks ago, they had this, you know, that this little piece of music that was composed completely by their AI system. And it's, I mean, it sounded like garbage, but for a computer, not bad. Like, let's see where it goes in five, ten years. And maybe you'll just type in a couple tags and keywords into the Google service and just download this royalty-free song that'll be perfect for your movie project. So, you know, things are changing. People have other jobs to support themselves in their passions, and so do I. Uh, this summer, I have a summer job, summer contract. I have another job that I work on the side, and... Um, and I have composing, but I'm all, I also do other stuff that I love in audio, like mixing and mastering and all that stuff. I find that stuff really fun. My main thing is to compose. I'd love to just sit there and compose all day, but I can't. So, anyway, hopefully, I hate to I hate to do this where like I give I don't get I can't give you just like a do this 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 and this and then you will end up like no you, it's just not like that. You have to really be versatile and have a lot of insight into who you are so you know it's almost like someone who like practices smiling in front of the mirror every day so like they can learn how to take a good photo of themselves you have to know how you are in order to know how other people perceive you and once you learn that then you can go okay here's what i'm good at here's what i got to work on so you can present the best version of yourself to clients and make them want to work with you so hopefully there's some good tips in there and it wasn't just me rambling um, let's move on to the next question. Thanks so much for sending it in. And uh, if you have anything else you want to ask or talk about, just send it in. So the next few clips are mix reviews. Thank you so much to the people that sent the mixes in uh, in a downloadable format because then I can play them in the video. If you just send me a SoundCloud link, I can't really put that in the video. I have to download it as you know media and then upload it to the video as I, as I edit everything together. So thank you. But just a tip for people who are going to send stuff in. Um, uh, I'm, I'm always open to doing a mix review, but if you give me specific things to look at, like if, you know, if you're like, uh, what do you think, man? Like, it's like, I can't really do much with that. If you're like, you know, if you have a specific issue or area of concern, like the relationship between the bass and the kick, or like, I don't know, do my strings sound too midi, blah, 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 blah. Those things I can really, I can really sort of hone in on when I listen, because if you just send me something and you want me to just check it out then like you know that's that's fine but um i can't really give you feedback if i have nothing on which to deliver feedback okay let's start with the first mix review this comes to us from lauren's dowling lane i don't know if it's a guy or a girl i don't know if i pronounced it right but i know that i got some vodka she he writes hey jeff i've been watching your videos for a while it's kind of creepy no i'm just joking and just happened to see your post on our Ableton today. Just want to say that your videos have been a godsend in terms of learning. Thank you very much. I watched the first vodcast and it was fantastic. Thank you. Here's a link to my latest track. He says, or she says, 
Overall, I'm decently happy with it, but I wanted to ask if you had any tips on creating space in a mix and making sounds wider since I feel I don't have a great grasp on the subject. Okay, well, let's have a listen to it, minute and 30 seconds or so, and then we'll uh, come back and I'll give you some tips on what I think you should do to create space and width and depth in a mix. Okay, thank you so much for sending that track in. Very hot, very hazy. I gotta cool off with a little sip of vodka here. Now, um, your question is about how to create depth and space within a mix. A lot of people make a mistake when they're adding reverb. They'll put it on the master channel or they'll put it on you know a couple tracks or they'll put it on tracks that really don't need reverb or just need a, a conservative judicial amount or judicious amount of reverb. Um, the kick and the bass, for example. I would say be very, very careful adding reverb here because uh, we don't want to spread these sounds out. We want them to remain thin and mono, especially if you're going to be playing them back on a phone or in a club. But with respect to other things like um, uh, pads and synths and all that kind of stuff and hi-hats and especially the snare, we want those things to have reverb, but we want the reverb to be controlled because reverb can get out of hand very, very quickly. So here's my first tip to you, okay? Um, try what's called an Abbey Road trick. Now, this is the apparently the trick they did at Abbey Road Studios called the Abbey Road Reverb Trick. I'm reading from a list of tips here. The first thing to do is let's go to those pads and insert an EQ, then put a reverb on there. So we're not sending to a reverb, we're putting an EQ and then we're gonna put right underneath uh, in Ableton or whatever, uh, you know, so EQ, EQ8 if you're using Ableton and then reverb. Roll off the highs at 10 kilohertz, okay? So 10K, we're gonna roll them off so it's like you know like like that uh, and then we want to roll the lows at 600 okay so it's looking like this right the whole frequency spectrum is here and it's looking like that so we have like a little sort of arch right there then uh, lower the roll off at the highs to as low as two kilohertz for just to make space for those drums then dip a little at two kilohertz to better fit the vocal or any other instruments that you have so you're almost looking at something like like that and what that's going to do is that's going to contain the reverb. And you'll see the difference between having no EQ on there. Everything's going to sort of radiate outwards. And it's going to be kind of what I'm hearing now. It's going to be kind of soupy and swampy. And when you have a controlled amount of reverb there, it's going to really sort of give the track um, some life and, and stuff. But it's not going to sort of overtake and smear everything. Uh, so that would be my tip the Abbey Road reverb trick. Um, what I might do is just link to what I'm talking about in the description for your question so you can better sort of understand what's going on there. But EQs are a great way to sculpt and mold reverb so that they don't dominate everything and the roots don't spread out and just kill everything else. Um, the other trick I would have for you is do something called fader throws. And this is big in dub music, um, King Tubby and all this sort of stuff. Those guys are basically, they're doing automation. They do it live, you know, they've got like a whole like mixing console and they'll just like throw to reverb or whatever. But basically, 
you want to enable reverb, you know, turn it on touch or whatever you have in your DAW and go to your wet dry knob on the reverb and then hit, you know, record, automate. And then when you get to a really interesting moment, just throw the fader. So just, you know, don't throw your fader. Whatever you have, your mouse, turn the reverb up to 100% and then back it off very, very slowly. And that's going to create sort of movement just for a moment, right? And then you're going to pull it back. That's one thing I didn't hear in this track too much was movement and uh, sort of sculpting and shaping and life um, through automation, which a lot of people sort of neglect. They'll just make a track, throw the you know effects on, and then leave it there. The pros, if you get a mix from them, you honestly, you put it on a control board or whatever, all those faders are going to be moving up and down. Those knobs are going to be twisting left and right. Things are moving. It's a moving sort of... You know, it's a it's a living, breathing thing. So you want to really embrace automation, especially with reverb. Do your fader throws, even delay. I mean, I didn't mention delay, but delay is another great way to create space. Reverb and delay throws are really going to give um, movement and vitality to your songs, and ensure that things don't say stay kind of stale and and very sort of swampy. So the Abbey Road reverb trick, I think, on specific instances where you want reverb, again that little that curve like that. Um, and also fader throws in the right places at the right time. Um, there's some really great sort of dubby reverbs and delays that came out of Ableton a little while ago. Let me see if I can just look it up here for you. Uh, I own both plugins. They're native Ableton plugins, meaning that they were made for Ableton, so they're going to sit natively along EQ8 and all the rest of Ableton stuff. Okay, so I don't know if you have Max for Live, but they're called Dub Machines, and they're by Surreal Machines. And they've got, uh, I think they've got a reverb and a delay. And they're basically, I mean, they're they're modeling, you know, tape delays. So like Roland Space Echoes and all the rest of it. Um, and uh, they're very flexible. They don't, you know, munch down on a whole bunch of CPU. And I think that if you get those things, or even just use, you know, use, you know, ping pong delay and all the rest of it to create movement, you're really going to open up the track. It's going to sound totally different. Um, yeah, so check the description for more information on those two things, and hopefully that helps you achieve the space and width that you're sort of looking for without everything sort of getting smeared together. Okay, so next up, the next mix review comes to me from a band in Norway, uh, which is very exciting because I've been drinking some vodka, and if you know anything about Norwegian, there's a lot of syllables and consonants and stuff, and it's a lot of fun to pronounce if you have or haven't had any alcohol. So this one comes from uh, just the band... Uh, actually, the guy's name here might be like Vetle. I don't know. But the band's name, I think... Um, let's see if I butcher this. Verden Sommetno. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. But he goes, Hi, we're a Norwegian band called Verden Sommet. We're releasing a new single these days called Aldri Ingen, uh, which means Never Again in English. I don't know. Uh, if you want to review it, please do. And then they sent me a link. Now, um, I wrote them back just to be like, if you could just give me some more details. And they did. So what they're saying here is, cool, here's some more details. Some off the top of my head. Is there anything too money? Uh, would you prefer anything to stand out more? Is it loud enough? And how loud uh, do your tracks need to be? How loud do you like them to be? I could talk about this forever. What's your take on the arrangement and the structure? How do you like the interchanging between the singer and the rapping and the rapper featuring? If you like the track, where do you imagine you'll listen to it next? With who? Which is a really interesting question. How would you? How would your remix of this track be? I don't think I'm going to answer that, uh, just because I don't. I don't know. Um, how would you describe this genre? That's an interesting question. How's the width of this track? Um, let me know if these work. Cheers, Vetle. Well, Tusen Tak, Vetle, for the Spushmal. Uh, I don't know if that's a question. I, I should tell you that I spent uh, six months in Bergen, Norge, Bergen, Norway. I should stop being ridiculous with the accent. But anyway, so I've I've forgotten a lot of what these things mean. But Spishmal, um, I think, is question. Anyway, thanks for the question. Let's listen to your track, and we'll be back in like two seconds. Thank you. 
Okay. Uh, thank you very much for sending that mix in. Um, this is a really great song. Uh, I can tell that it's uh, it's been mixed and it's been arranged by people who who, who know what they're doing. Um, there's uh, only one. Well, there's a couple issues I have. Mostly that like, oh my god, this song is loud. Like it is so friggin' loud. Like when I put it through Isotopes Insight, which measures all. It's a, basically a fancy metering system. We're looking at like about minus 7.1, minus 8 LUFS, loudest units full scale, and that's like, you know, digital sort of readout. Um, basically, if you were to throw this track on a SoundCloud or if you were to throw it onto Apple or whatever, um, you're already exceeding a lot of the decoding and encoding compression algorithms that they use when they get tracks in there and they pump them out and sort of make them sound good. You're not leaving any sort of room for any dynamics or anything, so you might listen back even in a very nice room to your track on YouTube and be like, we didn't make that. That's because everything is already so squashed. Um, so one of the tips that I'd have for you is, uh, first of all, learn the loudness unit, the LUFS uh, sort of breakpoints for all of the uh, uh, sort of output formats out there, like the streaming services and Spotify and stuff like that. I'll tell, I'll tell them to you right now. If you're going to master this stuff, if you're sending it to a mastering engineer or whatever, uh, they should know this information too. YouTube uh, is minus 12 LUFS, Spotify is minus 11 LUFS, and Apple is way more generous. They're minus 16 LUFS. Right now, you're, I mean, you know, you're at minus 8 LUFS. So if you were to put this on Apple, uh, they wouldn't have a lot of, you know, it, it just, it's, it's extremely loud. And I say that with a bit of, I mean, I say that with a bit of sadness because I think this is a really, really great track. But, I mean, if we had a VU meter, I mean, it wouldn't be bouncing at all. There's no dynamics. We'd, it would just be like this the whole time, like that. Um, and there's some really great moments of sort of chaos and beauty. And, you know, we go into that verse and I have no idea what's being said. Uh, but, you know, we get that amazing, like, just like horn, crazy, chaotic session. Then we come back to it. There's almost no real... Um, oral oral difference between those two parts because everything is so friggin' squashed now i know that we're getting into a, a, another discussion about loudness here that i could go on about for days and i know that it's difficult because a lot of people you know you want to be competitive you you want your song to sound as hot and as loud as the next guy but just remember like you know the radio spotify they don't own the volume knob okay you do and i do and if i want to hear if i want to go louder i'll just turn it up but as someone who mixes and masters and listens to audio and composes all day long like i have a very tender sensitive ear for dynamics and if something is just so loud and insane like look at radiohead's uh you know moon-shaped pool record that it's too loud it's way too loud um and you might argue that most pop music is loud or whatever. That's just not true. James Blake's new record. That is like, I mean, that there's a guy named Ian uh, Shepard. He's a mastering engineer. And he hands out an award for like, you know, Dynamic Day, he calls it. And that album won the award, basically. We, it measured in at like minus 14, minus 15 LUFS, which means, yeah, it was quiet. But if you turn it up, oh, my God, the experience on there, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's an incredible record. You're hovering louder than where people like Drake and Rihanna are. I'm just saying, I mean I mean this in the nicest way possible. You're competing with people who have loads of years and amazing gear and all kinds of experience behind them to make those songs sound really good at minus 10 LUFS, minus nine, minus eight. And that stuff already, like it doesn't matter how much money you spent in your studio or whatever, when you get up to those kind of peaks and then you throw that stuff on a streaming services which have compression algorithms and encoders that squash things even further you're really doing a disservice to the song and this is a great song like you had all these questions for me about like what should i do but this i wouldn't change anything the arrangement is really beautiful um i if i'd say anything like you we need to kind of separate the rapper from the vocalist especially in the second half of the song um because there's a lot of chaos and i think that chaos is good but controlled chaos is even better so you have um the one guy sort of rapping and the other guy in the background maybe just turn the singer down a touch you know what i mean a good example of a song that has chaos but control would be radiohead's king uh no not king of limbs but uh, tree fingers off of kid a there's a song that's like insane We've got horns, same kind of instrumentation. I think there's a lot of DNA between your song and and and, uh, and and tree fingers, but there's still control. We're getting fader throws, we're getting automation. Not that there isn't automation here. I can tell that there is. 
Um, but that track has a lot of dynamics. It has a lot of life. It's breathing. It's it's moving back and forth. Um, I would say aim if you were gonna. I don't think you have to remix this song, remaster it. Maybe you want to maybe back off a bit on the on the limiter, but there isn't really anything I would change about this. It sounds like it's it's ready for the market. I think you sent it to me knowing that you know I I would I would like it and other people would like it. And I'm sure that if you played this for me, you asked who would I play this with, who would I listen to this with with anybody. I mean, I'd send this track to people I've been going to school with for a while and they know great audio and I'm sure they really dig it too. But it is extremely loud and you have to be careful because um, you want those things to... That's what mastering is. Mastering is making sure... It's not making things louder. It's making sure that things sound great on any output device and format. And unfortunately, we're dealing with streaming services that have not agreed upon a basic loudness standard. Like I said, Apple's minus 16, YouTube is minus 12 we're dealing with different things so it might sound great on your system but the minute you throw it on to, to YouTube um, some of those really awesome moments are just going to get lost in, uh, in a sort of you know in a sort of trap of, of compression so be really careful with that but hope it didn't piss you off man I think this is a great song I just think that uh, I, I just think that it's it's way too loud and you ask, well, how do you know? How do I approach loudness? How how loud do I like my songs to be? Okay, here's my answer. When you're mastering songs, um, find a song that you really like. So put Tree Fingers on, and uh, <laughs> that's what I do. Or put I take a song that you really like. I don't know, go for a rap song or something else. Let's say you're going to do this all over again. Get a rap song, great reference song. Okay, sounds great on your phone, in your car, uh, sounds great everywhere. Okay, that's that's the important thing. Reference tracks. Take that song, get a loudness meter of some kind. Isotope makes a bunch. You can get them, download them for free, um, and then make sure that it's doing LUFS, not RMS. RMS is like old. That's like root mean square. That's an old way to measure loudness. Now the agreed upon loudness standard, as far as uh, metrics go, is LUFS. So loudness units full scale. Okay. Uh, Isotope makes a good one. Like I said, I'm trying to think of a few other. Brainworks makes a metering system. Um, I don't think Ableton has one yet, but anyway, Insight by Isotope, what else? Anyway, whatever, you can find some. Uh, Ian Shepard has one too. Anyway, so get your reference song in there, and then adjust the loudness so that it hits uh, minus 12 LUFS, okay? So adjust the loudness of the reference track so that it reads around minus 12 LUFS. Then... Bring in the track that you're about to master and then adjust your monitoring at a comfortable level. Right now, eight, minus 85 dB is like the level for, for, for reference or for, for mixing, you know, when you're listening to stuff back on your on your monitors. And, and that seems to be the agreed upon thing. You don't want to go louder than that because you could really damage your hearing and stuff. And, you know, take breaks every, you know, I forget, it's like the 10 to 20 rule or 40 to 10 rule. I don't know. For every 40 minutes, take a 10 minute break. Take breaks. Don't you know, don't blow your ears or whatever. So minus 80, minus 85 dB listening. You can get buy a cheap dB meter for your phone. They're not very good, but you can get a pretty good sense of, of where things are loudness-wise on your referencing or whatever. But make sure that the level that's reading back in your um, on your metering is minus 12 LUFS. The reason I'm saying that is because, and now you might say, well, like, you know, uh, Drake's track on the radio, which is where I want my song to be, you know, that's that's minus nine. The reason I'm saying minus 12 is because, like, I'm a bit of a dynamic, you know, snob. To get a really awesome mix at minus eight or minus nine LUFS takes a lot of skill. I'm not saying you don't have it, but it takes a lot of skill and practice, and you have to be really good at what you do. Otherwise, you're going to send stuff off, and people are just going to be like, this sounds squashed and terrible. Next. So at minus 12, you're ensuring a lot of headroom you're ensuring some dynamics, um, and you're also ensuring that when you translate, when you send those things out to Spotify and YouTube or whatever, you have a lot of headroom, and they're going to bring the volume up. Like I said, they have cutoffs. They're going to bring the volume up, and your track is going to sound really great, and if people have to turn it up, then that's that's their choice. No one's going to change the channel because it's not loud enough. They're going to change the channel because it sounds too shrill. It sounds awful. If they dig the song and they dig the soul of the song, they're going to turn it up, and that's fine. Don't get caught up with this loudness stuff. Go to minus 12 and then adjust your metering and your reference level listening back stuff. Adjust that so that you get a, a good idea 
of how loud things are. When everything comes in and all your reference tracks, you adjust them to minus 12 dB or minus 12 LUFS, excuse me, then you'll train yourself to know how loud things are. That's a really good tip, I think. So that's how loud I think the song should be when you're mastering. Aim for minus 12 because when you give it to those other guys, they're going to bump it up maybe a dB, a dB and a half. So anyway, that would be my, my tip. Again, I hope this wasn't too uh, mean and I kind of digress into this weird uh, dynamic um, rant, but I think this is a great song. Don't don't hurt it by making things too loud and squishing it up too much. Um, uh, so anyway, hopefully you can. Hopefully you're still gonna subscribe to the channel and not not hate me. But if you hate me, it's okay. That's fine. Oh yeah, sorry. What genre would I put this in? I don't know. Um, like R&B, jazz, funk. I don't know. It's a great song. It's like it's it's like genres are. It, you don't really need them anymore. It's just like here's a great song. You know, a lot of people listen to a lot of different kinds of music now because you've got the internet. So now it's you know it's almost like like i don't know you'd think of like you know suicide or can back then that was like post-punk but they were never like saying oh yeah we're a post-punk band you know like we're a post-rock band like no that was just the kind of music that was and people were like yeah i like them i don't so don't don't worry too much about genres and tags on soundcloud and stuff like that um but yeah i'd say it's somewhere in the vein of like you know it's a little zappa it's a little jazz it's a little yes it's a little tall it's a little kind of you know you got some really great rapping in there and i don't listen to enough rap to be like oh it's a little you know i don't know but um it's just a really great feel good sort of you know like smoke a bunch of weed and just like relax kind of vibe i don't know what's being said in there but hopefully it's a positive message for the children ah right the next question comes to us from sam whittingham sounds very british maybe you're not maybe you are but uh, we're going to make fun of the name. No, I'm not going to make fun. Like, my name's pretty British. It's like Jeffrey William Manchester. I don't think you can get any more British than that. So Sam Whittingham, or he wrote into the vodcast podcaster at gmail.com. And he writes, hey, Jeff. What's up, Sam? I don't have a specific question. That was the end of his email. No, it wasn't. Um, but he says, I wanted to send you one of my most recent tunes that I mixed and mastered. If you could address any problem areas that you hear or just give me any general tips, it would be greatly appreciated. Now, normally, again, like I said, like I, I go back for feedback. It's got to be very specific, but, you know, let's just do it. Let's just get into it. He sent us a track called Tough Break. And I got to say, Sam, I've been listening to this track not like on repeat, but it's been in rotation. I don't want your head to get too big, but it's been in rotation. It's a good track. Let's check it out. About a minute and 30, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the track. Thank you very much for sending me this track. Again, I, I really like it. I think it's very good. Um, one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's a good example of how to arrange and manage bass information. I think you did an excellent job of this because a lot of people, especially with dance music, hopefully you don't you know hate me for calling it dance. It's more, I don't know, is it more like future? Obviously, the song is like, you know, tough break. It's a break beat, but it's kind of a got a future kind of hip hop vibe in there. So a lot of people kind of go overboard with with bass or they you know they'll overcompensate somewhere around like you know 100 200 hertz or whatever but the bass is very carefully managed and if everyone can listen to this track who's watching just to get a sense of 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 how restrained the bass is i think um i think they'll learn a lot uh, i don't know how you mix it or what choices you made but you made some very good choices because when i play this back 
everything, especially on an EQ, all the frequencies are very well represented. We're getting equal energy and everything. Um, there are some issues that I have. Uh, there's a couple resonant peaks, I think, when I pulled up the EQ. Not a huge deal, but um, around 600 hertz, six or 700 hertz. So you might want to just apply like a dynamic EQ and uh, isotopes um, ozone 7. I think they put it in 6, but or just like just bring a little dip down. And I'm not talking like if you're going to remaster it, don't do big, you know, 5 dB, 6 dB cuts. Just half a dB, 1 dB. And that's if you want to do it. Um, the real issue that I have with this track um, is that uh, it's, it's and again, it's very, very, very loud. It looks like you put a limiter on there at like point, you know, minus, like negative 0.03. That's cool. Uh, but it's still extremely loud. We're looking at like minus 7, minus 8 LUFS. It still sounds good, I gotta say. It's it's you, you did a good job. That being said, because it's a dance track, there's fewer variables to control for because you know it, we don't have like cymbals and you know multi mic drum setup and three vocalists or whatever. So it's very carefully managed and everything, but it's still extremely loud. And I think that if you had moments of uh, quiet, loud, dynamic verse, chorus or whatever, we'd really see the limiter sort of destroying some of those uh, some of those moments but in this case it's a very straightforward kind of apex twin kind of vibe uh, start to finish and it's you know I'd, I'd say that it's 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 a little louder than it needs to be but overall I don't see any big problems with this it's a very you know uh, it's, a, it's it's a great track very sort of like casual it's not easy listening easy I love easy, easy listening music by the way and you guys should check out easy listening music just google it because like the stuff you can learn from uh, from that that genre of music as far as arrangement and stuff goes, it's just like immeasurable. But um, it's very cool, laid back. I think it's a great track, man. I don't have that much to say about it. It doesn't help that I didn't get too much as far as like specific feedback and all that, but that's fine. Um, everything I said about the Norwegians track, I would say loudness-wise, learn from that too. So on your uh, on your metering, especially, you know, you said minus or I said you did minus zero point um zero three do one db I know it sounds crazy not point zero one db one db because those um encoders on the streaming sites they're going to push everything up they're going to normalize the loudness and it's going to sound squashed and ridiculous so if you give them minus one db one whole db of headroom you're going to be in a really good space. So that's what I would have to say about this track. But anyway, tough break. Um, not a tough break. An excellent opportunity. Did a great job. All right. The next question comes to us. Uh, it's a mixed review, and it's from Joey Parento. I don't know if that's uh, Joey Parento or Joey Parento. 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 Uh, it's just fun to see French names and pronounce them with a French accent. So he says, sorry for the delay, because he wrote me and he had the song and everything. Uh, work has gone a little nuts for me. I don't know why I'm reading this out, but anyway. Um, I'm basically saying, reading this out to shame you, because you have no excuse. I'm joking. So, generally I had more questions about compression, he says on this track. He says, I'm trying to bring my RMS levels up in line with my displayed volume, and it seems that the only way I can get those levels where I feel like... Uh, it needs to be compared to other songs is to have it compressed or is to compress it and use a limiter far more than I feel is logical. I'm with you. I feel a lot of people make that mistake, sometimes resulting in inconsistencies in volume. I'm using Isotope for learning to master at the moment. Great resource. I talk about them all the time on the channel. So he continues. Also, any harsh criticism is really welcome in the general sense of the song. It's very hard to get a realist to get realistic answers from people when you're only one you or they know personally that produces. I, I know what you mean. Usually they're amazed that you're able to make this thing and act as the worst focus group they can when all you would welcome is some constructive criticism. Word up. Thanks for considering me though. Any other questions you have for me? Blah, 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 blah. blah. Also, we asked when the episode is coming out. It's coming out today. Patience. Joey Parento. Let's get into it. Let's listen to your track for one minute and 30 seconds. Well, maybe a little bit longer than that. And then we'll return and I'll give my thoughts on it, okay?
okay, thank you uh, very much for uh, for sending that in. Um, very cool track. I love quiet. I love quiet, loud stuff. It's kind of bonkers. Whenever something is really hard to define, I like it. You know what I mean? Like when something's kind of alienating at first. Like you ever notice how like your favorite shows were at one point unknown to you and very alienating, like Mad Men. When if you go back and watch Mad Men, you kind of can't believe it came off. It got it got off the ground and became this huge success because it's so like weird and slow and all that. But once you get into it. So, you know, it's awesome. So anything that you love is, is usually kind of alienating and weird to you. And then you sort of find your way in and it's awesome. So I like music like that. I think this represents, this is representative of music like that. So thanks for sending this in. Um, yeah, man, I'm noticing some volume issues you're, you're talking about. Again, we're kind of getting to you at the end here. But the things I was saying about the other mixes I was reviewing, they really apply to you. So forget about RMS meters. Uh, invest in a LUFS meter. And if you like Isotope, then maybe you can bug them and get a student discount on Insight. Uh, or just download one of the many LUFS meters out there. And LUFS, loudness units, full scale. This is now the agreed upon standard for loudness in the industry. Don't use RMS anymore. So LUFS is where you want to go, full scale, digital. Um, and like I was saying to them before, I mean, I noticed, I also brought it into to, to Ozone. I'm noticing that you're, I mean, you're peaking, you're clipping, you're distorting, you're going plus, uh, 0.2 dB, so you're going over unity gain, and that's a problem, right? Because you want to bring that onto SoundCloud or whatever, it's going to sound really crunchy and totally betray all the emotion and work and stuff that you went in uh, when you were making the song, and you know, so that's a problem. So I would say that, kind of like I was saying before, set the ceiling of your limiter not to 0.03 or 0.01 minus 1 dB. I know it sounds insane. And I know a lot of you guys are just like, that's ridiculous. It's not going to be competitive. It is. Trust me. And people, if the song is good, they'll want to turn it up. I'm kind of becoming a dynamic snob, and it's, I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know I'm, it's affecting me in a weird way. I don't really know if I'm comfortable with it, but like, I'm really starting to see the value in it because I go back, I listen to all these other songs, and like, I'm like, oh, there's a reason I love the James Blake record. There's a reason I really love Uptown Funk, and I didn't know it before, but it's because they have way more room to breathe and pump and pulse and other you know i mean radiohead it was such a sad thing i mean i i, I was kind of wondering why i wasn't getting into to moonshape pool um and i think it's probably because it's too friggin' shrill and insane even the grimes record i which i loved at first i started to not like it that much and i was like the songwriting is there uh she's really hot to me i don't know tweets the wrong right but she's a babe the songwriting is there the mixing is there um, what a fresh take for her and compared to the last record, like it's pop and all this stuff. But I, for some reason, I just can't, I'm like, there's something, there's a barrier to entry now that wasn't there before. And it's, it's fatigue on my ears. It's too compressed. It's too limited. Um, and I think she went, I think big mistake. And I mean, I say that because I think she was, um, the CEO on this record, you know, she was doing the mixing. I know her brother, her brother, uh, I forget his name, but anyway, he's going to be He's a he's a visual guy. He does like music videos. He's actually going to be directing a music video uh, for my friend's band. Uh, they're called Lavender. So you know it's very vertically integrated. So you have like you know she's doing the tracking and the mixing and all this stuff. And then like you get to the mastering, it's like ugh, like it's it's anyway. So don't let your song be a casualty in the loudness war. If you don't know about the loudness war, I I Google that. You know. Um, Metallica, who I loathe, I think they're garbage, but a lot of people like them, apparently. No, a lot of people like them. Um, uh, they have a, a record called Death Magnetic, and this is largely considered to be the worst sounding record of all time because it was mastered to poop. It was horrible. Uh, they went overboard. Andy Sheps mixed it. I don't know who mastered it, but it's so bad. And even Metallica fans got together and like petitioned the band to, I, mean, I think they sent their CDs in en masse, like they returned their CDs to the label or whatever, saying this is garbage, we want a good sounding record. And anyway, they just, you know, that was a casualty. Don't let your music become a casualty of the loudness war. And don't think that you need to have a track that's ready for the radio, like the radio has some kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's make or break, win or lose. You know, if your track isn't loud enough, it's not going to be played. That's actually a myth. If you want the rate the radio sound, that's not coming from you. It's going to come from the radio because there's this thing called an OptiMod, um, and it's basically a tool that ensures 
carrier quality and signal strength in areas where there might be low reception. And what it's doing is it's acting as kind of a compressor and a limiter and a multiband. Like it's just acting as this thing that sort of squishes the song together to, to make sure that the integrity of the signal uh, of the broadcast is uh, maintained if you're in a crappy area or whatever. And it's basically, it affects the sonics of the sound so that that radio sound, it's not because you sent them a super hot mix, it's because you sent them a mix and then it gets put through an OptiMod and then that creates the radio sound or whatever. So don't feel like you have to do some sort of special surgical stuff and download a bunch of plugins to make your song competitive. To make your song competitive, you need to understand loudness. You need to pay attention to LUFS. You need to pay attention to your metering and you have to trust your ears and just go... I don't care if this song isn't as loud as Rihanna's work or isn't as loud as like Dave Grohl's, you know, latest project, which is also weird. There's this guy, again, I mentioned him before, is Ian Shepard. Um, he's a real dynamic snob and I'm, I'm kind of turning into one too. And he was like, I, for, personally, I hate Dave. I don't like him at all. And not because like the, the music is, is okay, but like him as a person, like he just annoys me. But he's always going on about like the purity of tape and like Sound City and like wouldn't it be nice if we could all go back to the old days of like recording on Neve like yeah we all have access to a Neve Dave and like you know 25,000 guitars and all this stuff and like the best studios in the world but then you listen to his stuff and it sounds like garbage I mean the, the song and the arrangement is interesting whatever but like it sounds horrible so I don't get why he's like this big advocate for like real sound and like let's get back to rock and roll y'all and you listen to it, and it, it just, it's shrill, overcompressed McDonald's fast food syrupy crap. I don't, I don't know why, hopefully I'm not, hopefully people aren't leaving my channel in droves now that I diss Dave Grohl, because um, I'm sure he watches. But don't become a casualty of the loudest war. Don't, like, focus on the arrangement. Focus on the songwriting. And you've done that, man. You've done that with this song, I can tell. Um, and really be proud of that. You should be. And then focus on loudness in a different way. Don't approach it from being, how can I make sure that I'm competitive? I will tell you that if you gave this track to a, ma a mastering engineer and you said, hey, you know, Gina, because she's going to be female in this case. Gina, I, I don't care about loudness. I want this track to be dynamic. I believe in the song. I believe in the soul of it. And I want this track to be dynamic. I want people to reach for the knob and turn it up and uh, and to really feel the song pumping and breathing as I intended it. I don't care if it isn't as loud as everything else out there. I swear they will, a giant grin will form on their face and they will be so excited to deliver you a mix that is dynamic and, and all those things because they too are getting tired of signing their name and attaching their name to stuff that is way too friggin' loud and shrill and obnoxious and ridiculous. We have to sort of get back to a place where not everything is, you know, like listening to a song isn't akin to throwing a blowtorch in your ear. So I think that, um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying now, but um, let's get back to dynamics. You can do it because you own this track and you can go back and remaster it. Look up Ian Shepard, uh, look up Dynameter, look up plugins that help you retain the dynamics of your song and I think you'll get back um, some of the stuff that was lost with the master that you did before and uh, again RMS don't worry about that anymore LUFS is your new homework so that kind of concludes this episode this very long ranty episode of the vodcast I hope you learned something I hope I didn't piss too many people off um, I'm more than happy to continue listening to mixes I love that you guys are sending me stuff uh, please share this I know it sounds weird but like I can't, if I try and post this to Reddit, like it gets taken down immediately because they think I'm trying to promote myself. And like, I am trying to promote the channel, but like it's your mixes and your questions. So if you want to write in, tweet me at Jeff Manch, um, use the hashtag vodcast or uh, write me a question at vodcastpodcaster at gmail.com. That's it for me. More videos to come. Have a great 4th of July, all you Americans, the Brits. Sorry about the Brexit. That sounds insane. Um, and it was just Canada Day here, and it's Pride today in Toronto. So hope you're having positive, healthy, happy sexual experiences with the people you love. Podcast.